This is Shiv Valley, a show about Sheffield startups, and I'm Dennis with yet another episode. Shiv Valley is a podcast dedicated to Sheffield startup ecosystem, with the goal to increase the visibility and connectedness of local ventures, incubators, investors, and more. The show is supported by Sheffield Technology Parks, one of the integral parts of our ecosystem whose new initiative, Project 21, started only a few weeks ago. Erdemos Turk from Productive Machines, for example, is part of it, and hopefully I will be able to have other founders from the whole cohort on the podcast as well. Today's episode is one that I cherished because it's with the founder of the podcast hosting platform that I use, Mark Asquith from Captivate, Podcast Success Academy, Podcast Websites, all under the umbrella of Rebel-based media. Mark is that British podcast guy, he got into the space in its very early stages and has been producing podcasts and podcast software for nearly 10 years now, having grown Captivate to a seven-figure business in the meantime. He has also spoken about podcasting on stages such as TEDx and Harvard, so having him on the show to tell me his story but also share insights from the industry was very interesting and valuable experience. The episode starts now, I hope you enjoy it and stay until the end to learn when the next episode is coming out. I'm here today with Mark Asquit from Rebel Base Media. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, sir. Very good. Are you doing all right? Yes. And actually, before we start, I just wanted to, to do a quick shout out in front, of our, in front of our listeners. I could say before that, but I wanted to everyone to hear that basically around a month, month and a half ago, when we first started kind of communicating on Twitter and uh, Mark, one of his businesses is Captivate, which is the pod, uh, podcast hosting uh, business and I was using Buzzsprout, which is uh, quite a, quite a popular and uh, also very, I would say, very pushy <laughs> podcast hosting service. And uh, I was using that one, and Mark uh, told me that he he's he's willing to give me basically free a uh, free subscription to Captivate to use because I'm supported by Sheffield Technology Parks and he is based in Sheffield Technology Parks. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that out that uh, you've been incredibly helpful in the last month and a half, and I really really appreciate that. You're very welcome. So yeah, we're all local, aren't we? So it's it seems silly to have a Sheffield podcast and not using a Sheffield platform, but um, very, very pleased to help, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And you know, it's actually, I do like Captivate more. Like I have to admit, it looks it looks better. I think Buzzsprout, although I have to admit, I did like it uh, quite a lot, but kind of the user interface was was a little bit like a mid first, first 10 years of 21st century mm-hmm. user interface. While Captivate looks very, very modern, I'd say, and everything else is just is just spotless. So really enjoyed using that one. However, now I, the podcast is about you, and uh, it's going to be a little bit different because usually when I have uh, founders on my podcast, we're talking about their specific startup that they that they've built or they're building at the moment. With you, you've built uh, a number of businesses which I would like to talk about. So I'll mostly focus on your career in general rather than just one business. And that's why I first want to ask you, how and when did you get into podcasts? I got into podcasts in 20, I want to say 2013, but it might have been 2012, maybe. And I got into it, you know, you can see for anyone that's maybe seen any pictures of, of the studio or watched some of my courses and some of the, the the YouTube stuff that I do in the background, I've got all this geek stuff. So I've got like all my Star Wars stuff and my DC comic stuff further around. And um, that's how I got into it, podcasting. I was listening to Kevin Smith on Fat Man on Batman. I just love, you know, I love the show. I like Kevin Smith a lot. 
And a friend of mine started a geek blog with me. We both started a geek blog. And, uh, you know, we just started a podcast for it. I wasn't that interested in it. And Gaz said to me, dude, you got to start a podcast with me on this geek stuff. I was like, all right. And so we did. And then I started a business podcast for my agency. I used to, to own and run a digital and design agency. So I started podcasting. And, you know, from there, I just, you know, I spotted these tech problems in podcasting. So I thought, well, we can probably build something to help with like people's WordPress in podcasting because people wanted to use WordPress, but they didn't know how and, you know, whatever. So we built this WordPress platform for podcasters. And then, you know, we've expanded that out into, into Captivate.fm and, and a couple of other bits as well. But I mean, the main project is Captivate. That's the, that's the main thing that people know us for. And that's how I got into it, really. You know, I've been speaking in the space since about 2014, 2015, been very active in the space. You know, the, the, there are a lot of people that, that know us and that know me. And it's, it's sort of ironic because, you know, back in the day, I was in Barnsley and Sheffield and no one really cared. You know, I was like, wait a sec, we've, 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 we're in podcasting. No one cared. You know, no one wanted to support us as a tech startup. No one at all because this didn't see podcasting as a thing. So we bootstrapped it. You know, it's a seven-figure, multi-million-pound business with, uh, you know, no investors completely from nowhere. A team of 12 people across the world. You know, we regularly get invited to speak at Harvard and Berkeley and we speak at you know, we've been to Apple, we work with Apple directly in Palo Alto, we, we get invited out there and Spotify and, you know, all these places and no one wanted to know, man, no one wanted to know. And uh, now everyone asks. So it's this sort of weird thing that I got into that's turned into this business. But, you know, what, and you'll know, you know, from our chat earlier on, a lot of my goal is to help Sheffield people to a podcast. I, you know, I'm, I'm often giving free hosting away to Sheffield people, which I really probably shouldn't do. You know what I mean? I probably get told off by someone, you know, why are you giving it away for free? But I think it's just, it's good to help local people. So that's really the in a nutshell story, mate. So we got into podcasts on a quite early phase, uh, 2012. I definitely wasn't listening to podcasts then. Uh, Spotify podcast probably wasn't that big. To be fair, I'm not uh, super acute when it didn't comes exist. to... Oh, Yeah. So, yeah, you, you got very, very early in the space. How did the space look? And my other question is, because obviously I got into making podcasts only last year, and I could see that it doesn't look as the most sophisticated thing to do. You buy a microphone, you start talking into it. But then when you get into it, you actually realize how many things go into it and how, if you actually want to be good, how much time it would take for you to, to record uh, quality audio, to actually produce quality content. So when you started doing podcasts, how much of, you, of your time did you did you dedicate to it? And especially in your case, you became so good into it. And, you know, as you're saying, you were invited to so many places. You must have put loads of time into it, didn't you? Well, I get pretty obsessive. There were two things that, that, that worked out in my favor in that. There were three things. Four things that worked in my favor. Fair, uh, the, the thing that worked in my favor, number one, is I'm English. You know, if you go to my website, markasquith.com, or if you go to my Twitter, it's that British podcast guy. Yeah there wasn't that many of us in the space, you know? So when I go to the events, no one really, they were like, who's, who's this guy? Oh, it's Mark. He's the British podcast guy. Ah, okay. I know who he is. So that, that worked really quickly. Everyone knew me because I was English. Now there's bloody loads of us everywhere. And, you know, in podcasting, the second thing that worked in my favor was that I was, you know, I owned my own agency. You know, we had, you know, probably seven, eight people at that time working on all sorts of projects. And I was sort of out of love with it a little bit. You know, I didn't really want to own an agency anymore. I was a bit bored of it. So I was sort of disenchanted a little bit with that one. 
but it worked in my favor because I was the boss. So realistically, I could focus on other things. And it's a shame because I, I did bring podcasts into the table in the agency, but my co-directors weren't really too interested in getting into it. So instead, this is the third thing that worked in my favor. I was able to do it for myself, but do it on my own company time because I was, you know, the company was running, it was fine, it was building and it was making its money. So I was able to spend full time pretty much working on this thing and learning it and getting into it. And then the fourth thing that worked in my favor was I'm a really obsessive personality when it comes to what I love doing. So like if I get into something, I'm into it. And like I've never stopped being into podcasting. Like there's some stuff like the gym that I got into and just I'm not into it anymore. That's why I'm fat. So you kind of think about how those things came together. And, you know, maybe a bonus thing was that the just podcasting wasn't that big. There was many hundred, maybe 190,000 podcasts when I started. There's now 2.1 million nearly. Well, just over 2 million. But there was barely any software as a service, you know, pretty much nothing in there. Now everyone's trying to get into podcasting and make some money in it. So it was sort of a lucky mix of circumstance. You know, and I think also a lot of it is it's like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stupid sometimes. Like I'm pretty naive. So I'll just start something, you know, like I think I was in podcasting about 15 minutes before I started a business in podcasting and people say you're like, you're not supposed to do that, but I'd started podcast websites. But the thing is I knew, I knew about web, I knew about digital. So it wasn't a leap for me. I knew that. And I just saw this market as being available and it was. And I partnered with a good friend of mine, John at EO Fire, to start, you know, a, a big high quality affiliate relationship. I mean, that's a bit reductive, but uh, a good relationship with John to bring that to his audience. So it was sort of a leap into what was the unknown, but it wasn't at the same time because I already knew how to build web and I'd built an agency that was digital. So we, we just transposed that skill into a tighter niche uh, and, and turned it into a service. And so that that that's how the industry looked really. And you know, I was I was very fortunate that those circumstances came together to allow me to get into podcasting. And some of the advantages that I got from that were, you know, I, I became known in the very small industry as it was then pretty quickly. Because I'm a fairly friendly person. And I, you know, I don't I don't really stand on ceremony with people. So you could be like the head of podcasts at Apple, or you could be a brand new podcaster that's never, never spoken into a mic before and you'll get the same level of banter from me you'll get the same ribbon you'll get the same laughs you'll get the same uh, attitude you know none of it changes because you work for apple and you're you're a high up you know so and so i think that got me somewhere you know that and i put so much time and money into it as well not you know i didn't like i'm by, by no stretch have i got a lot of money but i spent all my spare money traveling to these places, you know, my agency paid for the first trip to NMX in 2015 in Las Vegas. That was the only thing that paid for, apart from maybe a bit of social media scheduling as a tool. Everything else I paid for either out of my own business or out of my own pocket. And very quickly set, like I said, this podcast websites business up, which in turn was very profitable from day one because no one was doing it. And then that, you know, we were able to reinvest that back into going to these events. So it, it, it was very purposeful, but at the same time, there was a lot of serendipity with the timing of yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I understand because it's kind of like, I don't know why I kind of compare it to getting into crypto in the beginning of the, mm. of, of uh, you know, around 2010. Obviously, as a form, it's it's completely different. One is a, one is a currency, yet it's basically an art form. But what I mean is that around that time, at the moment, everyone is is hyped about crypto. 
like everyone is trying to to buy a little stake everyone is looking into the growth and so and podcasting is everyone is getting into podcasting and at that time you're saying yourself there was there was nothing in the space and with crypto no one really no one really was buying like bitcoin sometimes when i look at the prices you know I, I remember that story where someone paid for his for his pizza with Bitcoin. Imagine how that guy feels at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's very easy to to say at the moment, "Wow, look at Mark! He got into that space uh, very early. That's so lucky." But it's not so easy when something is not popular and when something is in the very initial stage of growth, and you actually don't know what's going to happen, whether whether podcast is going to be successful or not. To actually get into it with 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 your full heart, I I personally find it difficult. When it comes to when it especially when it comes to jobs, to be part of something which is not yet very developed, because I do have mm-hmm. kind of the fear where you're gonna put a lot of time into something and then it's not gonna work out. Did you did you ever struggle with that thought that podcast might actually not end up being something something big, or you were just so passionate about it that it never came that thought never came into your mind? <clears throat> well, it sort of didn't matter what what happened for me. When it comes to business, I'm always a person that's always protected the worst case. Like my my goal in life is just protect my, what's the, the dog's whining? My, my goal in business has always been to protect my worst case. And what I mean by that is that when I was 17, my worst case scenario was working at the pizza shop, which I did. And then I got an office job, but I kept working at the pizza shop. But, so I was running these two jobs at 17, 18, but my worst case is upgraded from being working at a pizza shop to working in an office. So my worst case had upgraded. And then, then I quit, I quit office work because I didn't like people. Like a lot of managers are just idiots. So I didn't bother with that. And then, but that was my worst case. Like what's the worst that can happen? I just get that job again. And when I, when I then started doing what I, what I did after that, which was, I was a freelance, freelance consultant, <clears throat> like doing business change and project management. And dude, like, you know, I was 23 and I went from earning 18 grand a year to earning nearly 200 grand a year, just almost overnight, just by looking my way into it. And, you know, I, I'm very confident when it comes to learning things. So I, you know, I talked my way into a job, learned the job very, very quickly. And then with my first paycheck, I didn't take any money out. I paid my rent at the time and I paid my bills, but all of my spare money for the next two months, I invested in getting a qualification to do the thing that I was getting paid to do. So what did I do? I upgraded my worst case. So my worst case was suddenly going back to being a 400 pound a day, 500 pound a day contractor. I upgraded my worst case. So then I started an agency. So when I started my agency, guess what? My worst case was the contracting. If it doesn't work, I go back to that. That's I've upgraded the worst case. But then the agency started doing all right. And my worst case was, well, I've got five clients. I could just go back to being an independent freelancer with those five clients. And I get the freedom that I want and a decent salary. So again, upgraded, worst case. So when podcasting came along, it sort of didn't feel like a risk because... I know that I could go back to any one of those things that I'd done in the past. Like it was my worst case. And it was, it was fascinating to me at the time because I didn't realize that that's what I'd done. I thought that I was like this ballsy, you know, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'll fly by the seat of my pants. Look at me. I'm hardcore. That's not the case. I'm not. And I wasn't. I had protected the worst case. So when podcast, you know, podcasting might not have worked out, and dude, there was no support. Like I said, you know, I went to the digital lead, you know, Barnsley was supposed to be this big creative and digital town. 
you know, DMC and all that sort of stuff. And I went to the digital lead and I was like, look, I'm setting a software company up in podcasting. No one, no one gave a crap, man. And when I started my own podcast, you know, I was, I was instantly interviewing Guy Kawasaki, you know, the, the right-hand man to, to, to Steve Jobs and, 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 and those people at Apple. I was interviewing Chris Brogan and people from Dragon's Den within three weeks of launching the podcast. And still no one cared. There was like, no, we, we don't think that podcasting will work. So we aren't going to give you the same support that we give to the person making freaking rosettes in their, in their garden. You know, it was stupid. And then it worked, you know, instantly the first business became a six figure business within five weeks. And then Captivate became a seven figure business within, I don't know, 12 months. And, 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 and it is fascinating because what if I'd have stopped because they didn't give me the support that they were giving everyone else? What if I'd have said, well, I don't believe in it because they don't believe in it. And I read something the other day where it said there are three types of, of founders. There's the operator, which I am not, you know, I'm not a person that can scale things. I can start them and I can make them really good and I can get them to whatever, a million quid, two million quid. I can do that. There's the craft person who who's the person that can tinker and sort of build things to a degree. And then, you know, you've got to hand it off to a tech team or there's the visionary. And it took me a long time to realize that that's what I am. I'm the type of founder that can get, you know, three, four years in and I can build something and take it somewhere. And I don't really care what anyone else says because I see things differently to other people. I see the gaps that other people don't see. And the conversations that I have now, I see how that maps. I'm, you know, I can maneuver things like a chessboard. I can maneuver an idea now into position ready to be used in a year's time. That's what, I, that's my, that's what my brain does. And it took, me, it took me years of developing and building confidence and building businesses to understand that that is a legitimate actual thing that you should practice and develop because it's a very strong part of business. So, you know, when people don't believe in things, when, as a founder, you're going to get knocked all the time. You know, we, we, we started a business that failed. We went on a tech startup accelerator down in London. We lived down there and it failed. And what failure looked like for that business was being offered to be bought out by one of the top three biggest brands in the UK, quite possibly the most recognizable brand name in the country, offered to take us out of the market because they saw us as a threat. And that was a failed business. That was a failed business that they didn't know that we'd wrapped up. And they wanted to buy the brand and all sorts of stuff. We didn't take it in the end. It was a, they offered us something that we weren't comfortable with. And, 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 and rather than take the cash, we wanted the ego play of being able to say that we turned it down. <laughs> Idiots. Well, that's what you get when you're young. So it, it, it's, it's, it's about having that vision and getting, you know, if you get knocked, don't be too over arrogant and think that you're infallible because you're not, but at least understand the difference between having an ego and being a visionary, visionary person. You know, there is a difference and you can't ever let your ego kick in. You've got to be humble. You've got to take criticism. You've got to take feedback. But understand where your vision has to play out. Does that make any sense? I think it does. You basically, it's not, it's not that you should just 
kind of not listen to people and completely mm -hmm. always be opposing to them. But when you have the vision for something, don't let anyone else tell you that because they don't see it working out, it's not going to work out in the in the end. Yeah, and they're looking because they're looking at you know they're looking at what you're trying to achieve through through their own filters yeah. of you know their own risk appetite, their own background and knowledge and capabilities, and how tired they are of what they're currently doing. You know, and whether they've got a kid keeping them up at night or whether the kid's a bit older and isn't keeping them up at night. There's all these variables that these people are judging your own stuff on that are really more of a reflection on them. So I think it's very, very important to, to understand where you are strong and being confident in your strength. You know, your strength will only be put to the test if you try to test your strength. You know, you're not going to get stronger at the gym unless you lift stronger weights, uh, sorry, heavier weights, you know, and, and, and you, you could believe that you can't do it, but if you accept that it's going to hurt a little bit, you'd be amazed at what you can do, you know? Yeah, especially for the gym. That's, that, that's very true. I've been, I've been trying, you know, not, not in the lockdown, but before that. And so gym is a struggle, especially when you want to, when you want to lift heavier every week, it definitely pushes you to the next level. Can't wait for gyms to be open, to be fair. Hopefully in two weeks. However, I want to ask you about the podcasts because obviously the form grew and you said it yourself, 190 podcasts in 2012, more than 2 million at the moment. There is a reason for that success. And you as a person who's been doing, doing it since the start, I want to get more insight from you. Why, why do you think that happened? What were the reasons behind the podcast form success? Well, I think it's because it's accessible as a, as a, as a, as a media form. I think it's accessible. You know, if you think about podcasting back in the day, you know, it was people that already understood what an RSS feed was. You know, I was into blogging and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I understood what an RSS reader was and all that good stuff. So I kind of got it. But my mum didn't, and she wasn't aware that podcasting the form of media was just on-demand audio. But a couple of things happened. Number one, it became less about RSS and more about content. You know, it became very much about, there's, if there's anything that you want to listen to in your car, there's pretty much, you know, there's content on it. And that's because of the massive podcast that, 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 that started to be released. But the second thing that happened, the big thing, was that they, sorry, the industry overall benefited from the education that other brands did to help our kind of audience understand that on-demand anything exists. So what am I talking about there? Spotify came out and basically said, find a song that you like and you can listen to it right now. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to download it. It's just there. Listen to it. Netflix came along and said, you don't have to tune in at 8 p.m. to EastEnders. You can watch it tomorrow if you want. Uh, or you can watch Only Fools and Horses. And then the iPlayer did the same thing. And Netflix said, you know what? Don't go to Blockbuster. Don't download something. Instead, like, just here's a library. Get what you want when you're in the mood for it. And then Deliveroo and Uber Eats and Uber came along. And instead, everything was on your terms, not the taxi drivers. 
And it was on your terms, not the restaurant delivery persons. So what that meant was that my mum could get what she wanted when she wanted it. She wants a Chinese meal. She goes to Just Eat and she gets a Chinese meal. She goes to Uber Eats. She wants to watch something on TV. She goes to Netflix first because what am I in the mood for? So now podcasting is seen as just on-demand radio. Of course it is. It's just on-demand talk shows and whatever you want, on-demand storytelling. So now to my mum, the act of opening something and clicking search and typing in something that you fancy or that you're interested in is much more familiar. And I think that's what's happened. You know, I think that is, it's been a big educational process and, you know, now my mum knows what a podcast is. So that's a win. And I think that's why the form has just really taken off over the last few years, man. You know, I think that's, I think that's what it is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The, the fact that I can go to Spotify, mainly use Spotify for listening to podcasts. I could write anything that interests me, search into the podcast and find any sort of content. You could find like very, mm -hmm. very, very high skilled people who are in the industry doing it and talking about it. You can find just enthusiasts having a conversation about it. Literally, literally anything. You know, I was doing research for the idea that I shared with you. Mm. And so, because usually I don't look for podcasts on, on rankings because I have very, very specific tastes, but just the, the scope and range of, of podcasts was, was really fascinating to me. And the fact, honestly, the fact that, for example, you have a podcast where that's just as an example, two girls in their mid twenties, just talk about stuff, like literally stuff. And it's one of the most popular podcasts on Spotify. That's super democratizing because you, yeah. you're not going to get that thing in on BBC radio, for example, in the, in the afternoon. So I think that's also one of the good things about podcasts that it, that it really democratized the fact that you could get an get in front of an audience talking about anything you want. And I do believe that if you're if you're good, well, not only if you're good, but also, I guess, as you said, there's got to be a bit of luck. You can definitely attract the audience that, that you're looking in. Mm -hmm. you, you're not only doing podcasts, though, as, as we said, you have a podcast hosting company. And I think that's where things get a bit, uh, a bit, a bit trickier because this is, this is software and podcast hosting, of course, with podcasts growing is... It's going to get bigger and bigger. It already is, is, is massive. But I wanted to ask you, you as a person that creates podcasts, when you're building these tools, do you sort of look at yourself and ask yourself, okay, what do I need in a podcast hosting service? Or do you do the other, do you reach out to, to other people? Like how do you base, as I saw on, on the podcast Success Academy, which is a service yeah. again you provide, that you said when you're when you're building a podcast, you should always have a have a have a person that you're building it for. Did you do, do you do the same thing with with the podcast services uh, you create? Yeah, I, I'm I'm basically the avatar for that. I, yeah. I I I my own avatar for it. Like we created Captivate because I'm lazy, and I didn't like any of the podcast hosts. And bear in mind, I'm I'm friends with everyone. You know, I'm friends with Kevin, Alban, and Tom, and John, and everyone at Buzzsprout. And I'm friends with Rob and everyone at Libsyn and Blueberry and. Simplecast and Transistor and, you know, the, the, the thousand other people, you know, because I've been in the industry for a fair chunk of time now, but I couldn't find a host and I, I'm not saying it to be disparaging to them. It's just, I couldn't find a host that I wanted because it didn't do the things that I wanted it to do, or things were a bit complex or things like they, they, they were just, they, they were overly complicated. They shouldn't have been as tough as they were. And so we built it and I, I continue to be the avatar now, you know, as, as Captivate's a bit bigger. 
we do some testing. We, do, we we've got a feature request opportunity. Everyone sends the feature requests in, and you know it, it, we've got all that stuff. And we'll you know when we do the new dashboard that we're doing, you know dashboard two point captivate two, we'll we'll get user acceptance testing in place. But I still very much drive the feature set because I, I you know I, like I said that's what my role is. I'm the vision person, and I can see how things connect and how this thing will help this person. So very often, you know, like when we did the single subscription link or the sponsor one-click sponsor kit, you know, people had no idea that they wanted them. But when we released them, people were just thinking, like the replies were just, "This is why has no one done this before?" And they didn't, they they, they didn't think they needed it. But when it was there, they were like, "Holy, I'm definitely using this." And I just did it because I couldn't be bothered building a PDF up every time I wanted to pitch to a sponsor. You know, it was just, it'd be nice. wouldn't it be nice to just click a button? So I think, yeah, I think you've got to have that bit of confidence if you're living it. And th- But th- th- there's a difference between that and what a lot of podcast people do now. Like there's a lot of people coming into podcasting as an industry, building SaaS for the industry. And a lot of them will ask for calls and, you know, I'll speak to a lot of them. They'll say, oh, we're solving this problem. And I'm like, dude, have you even podcasted? Because you, if you did, you know that wasn't that much of a problem. I, I don't want to spend 15 bucks a month on that thing because honestly what I've got now is a little bit more work, but it's not worth 15 bucks a month to me. It's the Evernote problem. Evernote's a wonderful piece of kit, but what's the point in paying for it? It's just notes, you know, (laughs) Evernote's the best example of that, you know, much to their dismay, I'm sure. But, um, so I'm, I'm always that person, you know, I'm always that person that if I think, Oh, it'd be good if Captivate did this because I'm lazy and I want this thing to happen, then we'll probably build it. You know, because we're doing one earlier. We, you know, me and Kieran went to the accountants this morning and we've got a dev sprint starting next Wednesday, but we had this afternoon and Tuesday free. Well, the tech team did. And we just had this idea that I wanted to implement and it's an analytics idea for, for the single subscription link. And uh, like Kieran's just texted me now, he's, it's finished and built, ready to push. So you'll, uh, I was just like, wouldn't it be good? You know, because I wanted it. So that'll go out. And we knew it wasn't a big thing. We had a bit of spare time. Let's just get it done. So yeah, that's that's probably like, you probably don't read that in books. You know what I mean? Probably all the books are telling you not to dev product like that, but you know, it's LV. <laughs> and so you have Captivate, you have Podcast Success Academy, there's podcast website, there's, there's loads. When you... When you started building tools for podcasts, did you, I kind of assume the answer now that you've told me more about yourself, but did you have the overall vision for everything or did everything come kind of one after another in, in just logically things, uh, things forming? It was a bit of both actually. So we start a podcast websites and people wanted to learn from my marketing and business background on how to grow the podcast. So we created the Academy inside podcast websites to start with. And we were just podcast websites. Rebel Base Media didn't exist. So in 2018, we formed Rebel Base Media, which is really, a, you know, Rebel Base Media doesn't, it doesn't sell anything. It's a collective, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's me and Kieran, a collective. And we own businesses. It's just better than saying, you know, it's me and Kieran. It's, you know, we're, we're a collective that will, you know, maybe Rebel Base Media in the future will build other software for other niches. Who knows? You know, so we, we wanted to create a hosting platform and we split the academy. In fact, podcast websites used to do everything. It used to be a CDN based podcast hosting platform and have the academy in there. So what we did was we exploded the pieces of podcast websites out and branded them themselves, rebuilt Captivate from the ground up, rebuilt the academy. And the academy might even go away. 
you know, it's, we had all these ideas. Like we, we had this business called podcast design studio because we had designers on the books and uh, we wrapped it up. You know, we could make hundred grand, 200 grand a year, fairly easy doing it. But what's the point? You know, it, the, the effort was, was, was three days a week just to make that money. You know, what could we make through captivate if we put that time in? So we wrapped it. We just, you know, we wrapped it. And we might do the same with the Academy. You know, we'll move that content maybe into something in Captivate because yeah, we could spend two or three days a week running a membership for people that, you know, we get 37 bucks a month for, but how much more could we make through Captivate if we put that time into that? So maybe we'll take all that content and turn it into something on Captivate instead. And we'll, you know, Podcast Success, Success Academy would will just be a nice idea that we once had that's now part of Captivate and we'll redirect the URL and off it goes. So you've got to be very adaptable with that sort of stuff. You know, you've got to be very, very, very adaptable with that. And, I'll, you know, uh, a bit of a secret, my first ever business in podcasting, the first ever idea wasn't anything, wasn't Captivate, it wasn't podcast websites. It was actually productivity, which is still not launched six years, seven years later because it's pivoted that much as the industry has developed and we've refined and refined and refined and we're just about to go into a final alpha for the final version of the product because my vision for it has changed so much, but the seed of the idea remains. And, you know, you've got to pick your battles. You know, if I had launched productivity as it is now, no one would have taken me seriously back then because I'd not proven myself. Now I've built a world-class podcast hosting platform with the team. And suddenly people think, wait a sec, this person does know the industry and can build software that people want. What's he up to now? So, you know, you've got to, you've got to pick your battles, man. You've got to pick your, pick your, pick the right time to take an idea off the shelf. Definitely. And I can't help but having you here to ask, to basically give me a bit of advice. I'm, I only started podcasting back in November. I'm sure there's people considering starting. There's people who's, who started fairly, uh, fairly soon, just like me, you know, in the last, the last year. I have tons of experience. What would be the three top, top tips uh, or three directions that you would give to people that have just started or people that are thinking of starting now? Number one is focus on storytelling. Get very, very good at telling stories. Even if you're an interviewer, get very, very good at telling stories because stories have been around since since man has been around and it'll, it'll far, they'll far outlive anything that we do today. So learn to be a better storyteller and you'll, you'll learn how to make better content. Number two, split your time. 70-30, 30% production, 70% marketing and outreach to help with your podcast. Number three is... It changes, this one changes depending on where you are. But for you in particular, you're very Sheffield oriented. Focus on getting so embedded in that in that particular, I suppose, community and culture that you are the complete go-to. That's what I did in podcasting. I got so embedded in the industry that people said it's that British podcast guy, which is now my moniker, you know? You get so embedded that people cannot help but think of you when something comes yeah. up around this. Those three things will certainly help you to grow your podcast. And that's actually a smooth transition for me to ask about Sheffield, being based in, in Sheffield Technology Parks, being part of the ecosystem. Tell me, tell me about your experience with, with the ecosystem, its advantages, and maybe even disadvantages. Yeah, I mean, the, Tom and the STP team have been fantastic to us, you know, by by 
by far, without a shadow of a doubt, they've been the most generous, helpful and fair people that we've ever worked with in terms of rentals and office space. And we just love working with them. In terms of the support, you know, frankly, I've not, we've not had that much. You know, we've had a little bit of support from like the EU, the old ERDF stuff to help with some of the early trips and the, 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 the DIT helped out a little bit of that Department for International Trade. We've not done too much in Sheffield because what's difficult is that we're, our business is very US centric. Like, we, you know, COVID, if COVID wasn't here, we're normally in the US three, four months of the year. And we found it tough. You know, all the events that come up in Sheffield, I found it frustrating because like, I don't know, some of the conferences and seminars, it's always the same old people doing the same old rubbish. And, you know, it's it's very difficult for someone like yourself or me to break into that Sheffield circuit because it's a little bit clicky. You've got to like, you've kind of got to be in the pockets of the Chamber of Commerce, which they, they've not helped us and they can't help us. They don't understand digital marketing. They don't understand, you know, they'll say they do, but they don't understand modern SaaS. They simply do not. And the colleges, you know, they're, they're, they're ill-equipped to teach people up-to-date coding standards. You know, what do you do with that as a tech company? So that's very challenging. I found it easier to speak in front of thousands of people doing a TEDx. I found it easier to get speaking gigs at Berkeley and Harvard than I found it to get on stage in Sheffield. When there's a sleeper success story, a bootstrapped seven million, seven million, seven figure multinational software startup that is growing exponentially on the doorstep, but you, you, you can't get through the door because someone's still talking about setting MailChimp up on stage. Do you know what I mean? It's stupid. So that's where Sheffield's lacking. It puts itself out as this big digital creator community. And I think unless you're in 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 the, in the clique, you know you're not you're not really able to get anywhere, and that's a shame. That is a huge shame. And I think it's through fear. I think a lot of it is through fear. I used to see it in Barnes with the marketing people. You know, marketing agencies. There's only a handful of them that know what they're doing. You know, you look at people like Evoluted and people like Ash Evoluted. They are fantastic at what they do. They really know what they're doing. They get it. They get today's marketing. But a lot of the consultants don't. So, but yet, you know, they've been around for such a long time that how can we, how can we not recommend that person? Because oh, they'd be a little bit offended. And, and it, it's the same in the old towns. It's always the same. Barnsley's the same. Rotherham's the same. Sheffield's the same. Leeds is the same. You know, these towns that are being regenerated, these cities that are trying to rejuvenate from their old industrial backgrounds. You know, it's the people that were there 10, 15 years ago that are still thinking that they're kind of up to date with stuff. And it makes it tough for people like you, like, to get on stage and speak at somewhere in Sheffield, like you are the lead in Sheffield founders podcast, the lead in Sheffield startup podcast beyond. You should be on stage telling people about that, but you can't because someone's teaching MailChimp. It's crap, you know? So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's my rant about that, but I love Sheffield and Tom and the STP team have been wonderful. You know, I can't speak highly enough of those those, those team members there and everyone there, Dan and Emma and everyone have just been fantastic. So lot, lots of, lots of support for them. And Sheffield digital have been all right. You know, again, it feels like there's a lot of good intention, but you know, I don't know if it's because everyone's busy or it's just hard to get things done, but there's not much happens, but that's the same with every digital community, I guess. I don't know, man, maybe, maybe, maybe it's me that's lazy, <laughs> but yeah. That's my rant.
<laughs> no, it's it's interesting to hear different opinion because I don't know. I just love when 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 you're willing to to say to point out the negatives, and of course you're saying it, this is your opinion. But uh, it is good to be open about it because some people, you know, they 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 don't want to risk stating stating negatives even if even if they really think them because that that might harm even harm the bottom line in the end of the day. But your 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 main business in the U.S. as you said, do you do you think that might be a reason why? Because obviously you are you're, you're targeting a, the world market. You're kind of not because you know I had a conversation with Simon Delaney from Databow. And so it's a lead generation company here in based here in Sheffield, but they also they they also target the world market. They're not targeting locally, and they're worldwide leader in lead generation as well. And again, not a not a company that is particularly talked about in Sheffield. And he kind of said the same, the relatively the same thing. Basically, that because he's not focused locally, he doesn't get that much interaction with the local. Ecosystem. Do you think there's something to do with that, or is it just the case of you know in, individually for every company and founder? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think it's yes. I think it is some of that. I think it is. But I think if if you know if your digital community or if you're and I'm not talking about Sheffield digitally. I'm talking more about you know the the the, the entire business community in Sheffield. If your goal is to quote unquote highlight the successes of Sheffield, but you can't really be bothered at looking at what else is going on, you know, if you don't turn up to the chamber events, or you don't, you know, you don't turn up to some of the networking events from, you know, the whatever the Entrepreneurs Club or whatever at Bloody's Easy on a, you know, which is just an excuse to get some wine, you know, if you don't do all that stuff, then you probably do get missed out a little bit, and. If your entire mantra as a community is to profess to highlight the successes from Sheffield, that's kind of on you to go and find them because that's what you're saying you're going to do. You know, yeah. let's not pretend. If you're not going to do it, cool. But don't say you're going to do it. So I think there is a little element of that. But, you know, what would it matter if we sold podcasting stuff to people in Sheffield? You know, it, which we do. We, we, we do sell it to people in Sheffield. You know, we, you know, we, we partner with Unlimited on their podcast. You know, we, we, we were working with a couple of the footy clubs. We were, you know, James Marriott is a podcast consultant in Sheffield. You know, he uses our software, used to work for us. You know, you host with us, you know, with the guys at Cornucopia Radio. Lee, we, own, we run the, the Sheffield only podcasting meetup, you know, 30, 40 people every month before COVID. And, uh, you know, what more do you need to do? It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny scenario. It really is. I just, I think it's easy to talk up. A lot of uh, I've seen it so many times. I'm getting old and cynical, but I've seen so many communities with the best intentions that will only promote and talk about and share and be interested in those people who will give them stuff for free, and it's stupid. That's as that's my honest, you know, no holds yeah. bad opinion on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, if it's all right, we can move to the five questions that I ask all of my guests at the end of the podcast. Hmm. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Yeah, so the first one is about books. So are you are you a reader? Yes, I'm voracious with the reading, my man. Great. So recommend a book that you think every founder or future founder should read. 
Well, there's three that I'm going to quickly zip through. The one thing by Gary Keller that will help you to focus. The E-Myth Revisited should, by Michael Gerber will always be a staple business book just to help you uh, to understand about working on your biz and not in your biz, which is a cliche, uh, but it works. But the, the, the number one book that every founder should read is a book by Rob Fitzpatrick, a London author, which is called The Mom Test, that will help you to validate ideas, even if maybe some of the findings aren't to your liking. It's a very, very good book. That's The Mom Test. The Mom Test. Good. I'm going to add it to my list. And my second question is, why the name Rebel-Based Media, but also why, why the name Captivate? I'd like to know. Rebel-based media because I like Star Wars and Captivate because what more would you like to do with your content but captivate your audience? Yeah, that's, that, that actually sounds very, very good. And tell me about one place in Sheffield that everyone should visit. Yeah, so there's a couple of different different pieces to this one. I like I like a beer, so I'm just a big tap fan. But I think overall, you know, it, it's got to be outside of business, outside of work, outside of beer. It's got to be like the botanical gardens up up that area. I just love that entire area. I think it's beautiful. So I think everyone should visit that and and just any of the peaks around it as well. Getting out that way, you know, past Ecky Road and stuff. Every everyone should go there. Yeah, botanical gardens is a, is a good shout. I don't think anyone's mentioned it on the podcast yet. So. Very, very good shot, especially now when the weather is getting better. Therefore, yeah. My fourth question is a bit with a philosophical tone, and it's basically if you had 15 minutes with your 20-year-old self, what would you tell them? I'd tell them to be bolder with your decisions, you know, and, 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 and understand that being a visionary kind of ideas person and someone who puts value on quality communications is a skill that you should nurture and that is to be valued. So be bolder with your decisions, trust in yourself and test things out as quickly as you can based on that gut feeling. That's what I do. Be bold is the, is the thing. And my final question is for you to tell me one big, hairy and audacious goal for rebel-based media. A big, hairy, and audacious goal for Rebel-based media. Well, this is this is something that I've got in mind for one of the platforms that we're working on, which is that I want every podcast listener in the world to interact with our software without even knowing that it's us. I'd like to be the stealthy little secret power behind certain pieces of podcasting. I, you know, uh, for the good of the industry, I want every listener to interact with our technology without even knowing they're doing it. That's a proper big, hairy, and audacious goal. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. You're a great host. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for doing this for Sheffield as well, man. Thank you very much. That was the episode for today. Hopefully some new podcast enthusiasts have learned something from Mark. I personally am a big fan of his protect the worst case concept and will try implementing it more in my life. I'm excited to say that Next for Sheep Valley is a two-episode rubric which I've named Building Ecosystems. The overall goal for my podcast is to contribute to Sheffield's ecosystem by increasing the visibility and connectedness of local ventures. So you might be asking yourselves how would the next two episodes be different? And the answer is that they will be with guests that are not currently founders but are representatives of organization whose mission is building ecosystems, tech nation and capital enterprise. First episode will come out on Monday, April 12th, and the second episode of the rubric will come out on Thursday, April 15th. So stay tuned, subscribe to Shiv Valley whenever, wherever you're listening, or to the official page on Twitter, 
connect with me on LinkedIn to never miss an episode. All links are in the show's notes. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and until next time.